Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art and Not Sorry Art School. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. Hey y'all, welcome. I am so excited for today's episode. I have my first guest on and basically we're talking about copyright, copyright law, and we're going to get into the weeds about copying versus inspiration. This is something that feels pretty personal to me after a couple of pretty heavy-handed instances of copying versus inspiration that happened with my body of work specifically my disco balls this is something that's been very top of mind for me and as someone who had a copyright sort of obvious thing happen a lot of people messaged me over the last couple years asking my thoughts on copyright my thoughts on being copied versus inspiration the ethics around it and certainly I've formed my opinions but I've always felt really anxious to speak on it because I have no law experience I chose not to go the legal route I'll unpack that later this is going to be a two-part series this first part is an interview with a copyright lawyer but I I didn't want to have this conversation without having tangible information for people who did want to pursue the legal route, which is why I am so fortunate, so lucky to get to talk to Winton Yates. Winton Yates is an entertainment attorney practicing intellectual property law with his firm Yates and Speroni Law Group. Several months ago, I actually came across his TikTok page and learned so much from him. He not only is interesting and charismatic, but he does a great job explaining the intricacies of law in layman speak, which is <laughs> when it comes to anything legal, that's all I speak. So it was really helpful and I remember feeling really empowered by his information. So he was a wonderful person to reach out to. And I, again, I'm so grateful that he's talking with me. He shares a lot of really great information in this podcast episode. Winton is an expert on all the intricacies of copyright law and the differences between copyright, trademark, patents. And in this podcast, Winton breaks down how each of those terms apply to work created by artists. We also discuss where the line between inspiration and copying is, or even if there is a line, and how artists should proceed if they're worried that they may be towing that line or if they think they're being copied by somebody else. In this conversation, we also get into the ethics or lack thereof of AI art and what this new frontier of creation means for artists who don't want to see their livelihood consumed by this new technology. Art is being used by these AI generators without consent, which is illegal, but the scope and the novelty of this technology means that regulation has yet to be sorted by the legal system. Winton considers this a major issue and unfortunately is not going away. And we discuss what the future could hold for artists and look into how to safeguard their work against any artificial intelligence. So I invite you to check out our conversation and while you're at it, go ahead and follow Winton to see his fantastic content and get helpful tools to protect your work. His socials are all under Lawyer Winton, that's spelled W-Y-N-T-O-N. Definitely go follow him, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome and hi, Winton. I just want to start out by asking you what motivated you to get into intellectual property law, and why is it so important for artists? Yeah, so I actually got I got into call myself an entertainment attorney because it's kind of a broad strokes covers a lot of lanes title. Right. Um, so I actually got into entertainment law because I was a creator 
myself. I grew up in the arts and entertainment industry since I was two. So I grew up doing wow. uh, movies and uh, commercials and catalog shoots and all that kind of stuff. And then when I got older, my two best friends in the world, one is a, a concert photographer, the other is a, a filmmaker. So like we grew up doing art or photography or movies. So we we grew up in this space and all of the people around us were in this space. So I have a lot of cousins who are, you know, backup dancers for choreographers for musicians and I have a lot of cousins who are successful music artists and like they're in several different spaces and one thing I noticed as I was growing up is that we, we were doing a lot of creating and not a lot of protecting of what we were creating I didn't know what that what that actual thought was that I was thinking at that time because I was younger I was naive we were just you know in these streets just like doing fun <laughs> making stuff making the art right yeah Exactly that. And um, I didn't know what that thought exactly was. I just knew like we were missing something, right? So after I graduated from undergrad, I um, was a news reporter for about six or seven years. Wow. Uh, and I just happened to interview an entertainment attorney. And it was at that moment that it clicked. I was like, this is what I've been looking for all this time on how to help my friends and family with all of their creations, right? Yeah. So I, I then knew like the path for me at that time was law school and that law school was just a means to an ends of like becoming an entertainment attorney. I don't, I don't do criminal. I don't do family law. I don't do anything but exclusively entertainment and arts. So that is why I got into it. I just wanted to help my family and friends because it was, it's always been my passion and their passion. And just wanted to add an extra element to our group. Yeah. So it sounds like you grew up with an enormous amount of creativity and then connecting that to law just felt like a very natural sort of extension of that passion yeah. for the creatives. Exactly. It just, it made sense. You and I both know being in the arts world, like if you're an artist, all you want to do is create. You don't want to think about the business of it. You don't want to think about the legal aspects of it. You just want to create, right? Yeah. Um, and I was the outlier in the group that was like, yeah, I want to create and I want us to create, but I also want to make sure everybody's protected in some way. Right. So why should artists care about it? Because you're totally right. You know, all I want to do is just sit and make art and the taxes and all the other stuff that seems very boring and not part of the creative process can kind of fall through the cracks. But it sounds like it's something you're really passionate about. So if somebody's listening to this and maybe not super interested, like what what is your sort of appeal to them? So intellectual property law as a whole covers three things. It covers copyright, trademark and patent. Uh, and if we're talking specifically about copyrights, which protects creative works, copywriting creative works or understanding how that copywriting works is super important because it provides specific legal protection to creators over their work. And this protection really allows creators to control how their work is used, how they're compensated for the use of their work and how that work is protected from uses they they don't want to have their works involved in, right? So when you create something, you automatically have copyright ownership. That ownership, that copyright ownership, that copyright protection is loose, but it exists there, right? And it comes with this, what we call a bundle of sticks, comes with this bundle of rights, exclusive rights that only you have as the 
owner of this piece, right? So it's the the right to re reproduce that work. It's going to be the right to distribute that work. It's going to be the right to create derivatives of that work. It's going to be the right to perform that work in public. It's also going to be the right to display that work in public. And then it's also the right to digitally transmit that work. So only you have those rights when you create something. Cool. So it's it's just getting that ownership back. And, you know, I feel like it's more pertinent than ever to, to understand copyright law and the bundle of sticks, as you put it, because of the nature of sharing on social media and, you know, where an artist maybe 20, 30 years ago wouldn't have had to have been so informed on this because of the nature of sharing, for example, on TikTok, where it's almost built into the app. I feel like it's probably important for artists to sort of brush up on this and understand what their rights are in case it does impact their livelihood or their credit or their name or something like that. It will absolutely impact your, your livelihood at some point. If you are a serious artist, if you consider yourself to be an entertainment or arts professional, this is part of your profession is to understand how copyright works because it it, it only works in your favor, right? This yeah, gives you those legal mechanisms to take action if somebody has stolen your work and is using it in a way that you did not give them permission to. This is this is what artists are constantly asking me about is like, well, what can I do to protect myself and my work? Copyright. Copyright's always the answer. It's going to be the answer every time. Fantastic. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that you sort of automatically have protection for something that you create as soon as you make it. But you said that that was a very light coverage. Like what, if somebody wanted to really go further and protect, would they have to register for a trademark or like how does, what is the next step to get that really solid protection on your work? So I'll answer that question in kind of two parts. First, just, I like to give people clarification on the difference between copyright trademark and patent. So the way that I like to explain it is, say you invented a new toaster, you created this, you, you invented this new thing. That's what a patent is going to protect. It's going to protect that new invention. Your trademark is going to protect your brand. So if you are, if you get your toaster and you name it the Toasty Toaster, <laughs> Toasty Toaster is what you're, you're going to create a logo for it. So you're going to trademark the name, the word mark, as we call it, Toasty Toaster. You're going to create a cool logo for it. You're going to trademark that logo and you're going to trademark any brand aspects of the Toasty Toaster. And then copyright is going to protect all of the creative aspects involved with the Toasty Toaster. So if you're <laughs> creating a, a commercial for the Toasty Toaster, if you're creating brand ads for the toasty toaster anything creative is going to be a copyright so patent is going to protect the actual thing trademark is going to protect the brand copyright is going to protect all of the creative works right gotcha so in the u.s our forefathers mm -hmm. heavy on the air quotes um <laughs> yes absolutely we're actually really cognizant of copyright and the importance of it. So when they developed the, the U.S. Constitution, it's Article 1, Section 8, Clause 8, gives Congress the exclusive right to create laws that protect scientific innovation. That covers cop copyright is right there, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 8. So when you create something, as long as it checks certain boxes within the Copyright Act, as long as it is original, 
and it is fixed in a tangible means of expression, it is automatically covered by copyright. So if it's an original work, it's fixed. So if I take a piece of paper and I draw something on it, it is, it's fixed. And that paper is a tangible means of expression. So you can see it, you can feel it, you can perceive that piece of work in some way. That is a tangible means of expression. If it checks those boxes, you automatically are imbued, covered with the almighty <laughs> protection of the IP gods, right? Gotcha. It's loose. It exists, but it's loose. You're protected, but to firm that up is to go to the copyright U.S. Copyright Office and actually file for federal register federally register the copyright for that work whatever it is photograph visual art music film novel whatever it's creative work they have a application for it and you can go on there and register it go register it because it it only strengthens your protection to the to the max right because as soon as you get that registration back in the mail if anybody infringes on your work, you can now automatically take legal action against them. The big thing is, if you have not registered your work and somebody infringes on your copyright, you can't take legal action until you register the copyright. So you're going to have to go register it anyway. But if you go and if somebody infringes and then you register it, you're going to get kicked out of certain monetary damages that would have been available to you had you registered that copyright before okay. the infringement worked. I don't know if I articulated that well. No, no, that makes sense. It's just like extra way. protection that it's just, it's almost like a, let me know if I'm getting it wrong, but it's almost more of a bookmark when you, the automatic copyright just sort of saves it. But like in order to actually protect it, you have to actually go through the act of filing. Yeah, so it's it is protected. Like at the moment of creation, it is protected. That cr that protection is loose, and you're gonna have to jump through a lot more hoops in enforcing your copyright than if you just go do the federal registration. You've got that registration in hand, and you can shoot over a cease and desist with a copy of your registration and say, "Hey, you're infringing on my rights." And at that point, there's no question. It depends on the facts of what's going on, but you know, best case scenario there's no question over your ownership over this piece of work because you're showing them, I own this work. You're using it without my permission. Yeah. Yeah. Story. No, that makes perfect sense. So your takeaway is basically, if you make something, just go ahead and do the copyright, go ahead and make that part of your creative process just so that you can ensure that level of protection. Exactly that. So I like to use uh, visual artists, people who use paint and brush as my best example. <laughs> you have a budget for going out and buying brushes, paints, canvas, all of the things that you need to create your piece of work. I tell people, go ahead and add in that registration fee into your budget for that piece of work so that you know that is part of your workflow, is that once I'm done, I go register this piece of work and it is already in my mind, it's going to cost me another you know, $65 to register this work. Right, uh, like factor into the cost kind of thing. Exactly that. And for... Yeah. Photographers, because like every time I say that, people photographers always go, "Well, do I have to do it for every single photograph?" No, you can batch. Like if you do a series, you can you can batch. If you take a you know 
bunch of photos at one photo session. You can put them all in one batch and register them under one application. Oh, that's really good to know. So like my disco balls, for example, if I have one, I can sort of lay out the principle. They all kind of follow the same theme and that would cover all of them. So there's a, an option where you can go in and you can go in and do a copyright for each one. Okay. If I were painting them, I one, but <laughs> you can register them in a series. There is a space where you can include it as a series. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. And you also on your TikTok have a really great video, basically how to you register. It was a really cute video. You register your daughter's beautiful painting and you show through all the steps. So I'm going to bypass that here just because you do a wonderful job showing it. I'll just, I'll link that in the show notes. And again, make sure you're following because you give really great, really super straightforward, helpful advice on TikTok, especially. But I know that there's steps and processes and I know it seems really confusing, but what I've learned from you is that once you sort of get the hang of it, once you've registered and once you sort of learn the layout of that specific website, you can very easily get to a place where it's just sort of second nature. And I, I really like your analogy of just building it into your process, making sure you're compensating your time and the money and the energy that goes into it. And then once you sort of get it going, it's easier to continue to sort of add to your process, basically. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, once you really get the hang of registering a copyright, depending depending on what it is, I mean, you can get a copyright registration application and submit it in like 15 minutes. It's really not that daunting of a problem. The first time you do it, there's a lot of words. There's a lot of like buttons. to. It's a, it's a lot the first time you look at it. But once you get through it, a couple of times you realize it's really it's really not that that daunting of a like it's so easy i stopped charging people to do it um yeah yeah because at first i was like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna charge people a couple hundred dollars to do this and then i was like no this is like i'm just gonna tell you how to do it it's 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 too easy like yeah. i don't want it's easier for you to do it than like send me everything to it'll take you longer to send it to me to do mm -hmm. it than for you to just do it i want to pivot a little bit back to the disco balls just for a second. Again, I sort of became known online as, for a few months anyways, as a girl who kind of got her, her idea ripped off. But I will say I, you know, I share a lot of how to's and tutorials. So it's not as dramatic as it sounds. But I'm, I'm curious kind of your insight on it, specifically the line between inspiration and copying. So I, I painted a few of them, it sort of turned into a trend, I like to share how I do stuff. But what ended up happening was eventually people were kind of setting up shop you know, selling them for a similar price point, copying the whole exact image. And I, I got a lot of questions from people asking, okay, well, where does inspiration begin and actual legal trouble sort of like, where does that line go? Is it up to the person or is there a, a really good legal benchmark for that? It's a really frustrating answer for people, but it depends. Like it's this kind of standard legal answer of like, it depends. It just depends on the facts of what's going on in each individual case. Right. But when it comes to copyright infringement, copyright infringement just straight up is like the unauthorized use of your copyrighted work in a way that would violate any of those lists of rights that I listed off for you earlier. Mm -hmm. So is it a reproduction of your work? Is it a, are they distributing your work in some way? Are they creating a derivative of your work from your original work? Are they creating additional works like a movie a sequel is considered a derivative work so are they creating a derivative work are they performing your work in public are they displaying it in public so you can kind of go down that list of exclusive rights that only you have over this thing and make a call on whether you think they are violating your rights 
right? And usually artists have a really good sense of when their work is being used in a way that they did not give permission to. As one thing artists are very good at is recognizing their work in a place that it is not supposed to be. Yeah, I like that because it's kind of a trust your gut thing. Because, you know, one thing I've talked about with my community is this idea of even outside of the law, there's sort of the sense of etiquette and online, it's, it's hard to kind of quantify things a little bit, but if someone like set up shop next to you and was selling the same thing at the same price point, there's a difference between that and a student who's sort of tagging you and, you know, doing all the etiquette, right? You know, I feel like a lot of times artists do have a really good sense of that. And I will say one of the benefits is within the art world, I find that people are pretty just about things and people are usually pretty good about tagging and, you know, just saying, Hey, I just want credit. So yeah, I think it's important to know that legal distinction, but to your point, I think people do generally have a pretty good sense of that from what I can see. So I, I think in, a, in addition to that part of it is, it's just the, the explanation of an idea versus the expression of an idea, right? Mm -hmm. So you cannot copyright an idea. I get those messages all the time. I have an idea for X, Y, and Z. And I have to send back the message of, you can't copyright an idea. And it, there's a really good reason for that. If you were able to copyright an idea, it would give you a monopoly over an entire industry potentially, right? So I like to give the example of zombie movies. I, if I had a, if there were no zombie movies that ever came out and I had the idea of, let's make a movie about zombies. I want to go copyright the idea for a zombie movie. Nobody else would ever be able to make a zombie movie ever again. It would what the our again air quotes forefathers wanted to prevent it was the stifling of innovation and creative movement right so if you were to allow somebody to copyright and protect an entire idea like zombie movies nobody else would be able to make a zombie movie ever again so let's say zombie movies zombie land the movie is an expression of the idea of a zombie movie so you can copyright the expression of a zombie movie which is zombie land so you can copyright the script you can copyright the movie posters you can copyright all the creative aspects of that zombie movie without stifling innovation within that specific industry space of zombie movies so you have zombie land you have Shaun of the dead you have you know the walking dead you have all of these expressions of a zombie movie without stopping the flow of innovation. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. So it's kind of a fine line between, you know, you want to protect someone's ability to, you know, protect their property and be able to make art without it getting copied. But you also want to make sure that there's enough space and room for innovation and growth. And it almost feels like a tug of war. It's like a constantly influx sort of entity. Exactly. Great. So if somebody, I'm curious, if somebody is maybe nervous that they don't want to copy somebody else, do you have any like general advice? I, I get messages from a lot of artists who are very timid and they don't want to copy at all. And, you know, it makes them almost so scared to create work. Kind of like what you were saying earlier with the innovation thing. It's, it becomes so scary that they don't want to try something for fear of stepping on someone's toes. Do you have any just general advice for someone who's nervous over that? A, communication. Communication is key. If you feel like you are using somebody's, even if it's for in inspiration, if you're using somebody's piece of work for enough in inspiration that you feel uncomfortable about it, 
communicate with that person to say, he, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm thinking about doing. Are you okay with that? How do you feel about that? If you feel like you're overstepping. Now, if you are not like directly copying that person or just like copy and paste or directly ripping that person off, you're generally okay, right? Like it is human nature to take inspiration from other artists around you other things around you, other pieces of work that you've seen, right? So like you go into an art museum and you see these pieces that really inspire you and like you you want to try some of those different techniques and those different movements and the way things move and the way colors work together, right? Art has been around for hundreds of thousands of years, you know, since the first beings to walk the earth, right? We have cave paintings, So art has been around forever. It is very, very hard to say that an individual has come up with something that is unique to them. Like art's been around for 100,000 years. It is very rare that we get to a point, we've we've gotten to a point that is very rare that an artist is going to come up with something that is so unique and so, not to say it won't happen, but, you know, so unique and so new that you won't find an example of it or a hint of an example of it somewhere throughout history. So I think generally people are okay, but if you think you are overstepping, always communicate, always communicate, always communicate. And if you feel like, if you really feel like you're overstepping, then just don't do it. Just just don't do it. Yeah, no. And I find that that's great advice. And anytime someone has reached out to me, 99% of the time, it's, it's totally fine. Or like a lot of artists will just say, yeah, you can sell it. Just give me credit. Or, you know, people are usually pretty forgiving on those kinds of things. And yeah, I mean, to your point, like even I've had it happen to where I, I even subconsciously will find inspiration from other people. So it's a really hard thing to sort of, to invite sort of litigation into that process is I think just messy or just complicated to begin with. And I think that's the, the nature of a art, but also the nature of kind of a misconception of intellectual property law is that the way it is set up in the way, at least me as a, as an IP attorney is I like to use it to help people continue to push art and entertainment forward and not put up walls to where we're stopping people from creating. We, we want to ethically and responsibly help people continue to create while lifting up people that inspire them and also lifting up people who are coming up with unique and new ideas. Yeah, no, that's great. I feel like, you know, your specific law is very like community-based. It's very more so than other. It's just, it's a good like back and forth. And I don't know, it just feels very inspiring kind of to hear it's you a lot more, talk through it. It's a lot more fun than criminal, I'll tell you that. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Okay, so what if what if someone, you know, thinks someone is copying them that it's not just inspiration and, you know, it is beginning to affect their bottom line or their ability to get shows? What is the burden of proof for someone? Let's say they do, they went ahead and filed for it more than just the automatic protection. Uh, what is What is their burden of proof and what's kind of the next step for that person? So I'd say your first step is to really take a... First, take a step back and really critically think about what you're looking at. It's really hard to, as creators, take your emotions and your pride out of it, but take your emotions and your pride out of it and really look at it with a critical lens to really decide whether you're looking at 
an infringement on one of those exclusive rights that you have as an owner, right? If you are still landing on, yes, this is my work, it is being used in a way that I don't like, I would then encourage you to reach out to a legal professional in this space. A legal professional in this space is very important because we as IP professionals are very, we are surgeons. We're not general practitioners. It's just like going to your, you know, general practitioner doctor and they send you to a specialist, right? I practice, like I was saying before, this entertainment, IP, this is my world, my passion. I don't practice anything else. Don't want to. If you go to somebody else, they may not have a full grasp of everything in the world of copyright and trademark and IP and kind of the nuances of how things work and what you need, don't need, and what you got to do first, what you don't need to do first. And then also kind of looking at things from the beginning at a 30,000 foot view to kind of make a decision on whether or not there is something there. Because there are sometimes that people do come to me and I'll see it and I'll say, I know it feels, it feels like this is infringement, but it's, it's not. But a lot of times it it is, like I was saying before, artists are really, really good at catching it. When they see it, they they generally know it. But I would say you, you step number two after kind of critically thinking about it is reach out to a legal professional, which I know can be daunting and scary. And like most people's biggest fear is that it's going to cost them an arm and a leg to get that help. It doesn't. I promise you it doesn't. In the legal field, especially the way myself and my law partner work, is we generally like to to make it as affordable as possible for the situation we're looking at. Some situations, unavoidable. It is it is expensive. But that is balanced out with what the end result could be, right? And the amount of work that we have to do to get there. So once we get past that hurdle of getting people past the scary idea of it possibly being expensive, there are several legal options available, right? So the first that we always look at first is a cease and desist letter, is going through the matter, kind of putting it all together, deciding what the case looks like, and sending off a cease and desist letter to the infringing party, the alleged infringing party, to let them know what is going on and what the resolve could be without litigation. Let's get this resolved. Let's fix it. And we're out. We're we're good. Everybody's happy, right? The next step after that, if it, that does not work, is to then file a lawsuit. And the copyright owner, whoever the artist is, with the help of their attorneys, is going to file a lawsuit. And then you're after that, you're going to either be seeking damages, so monetary damages. You're going to be seeking an injunction. So you may not even want money, you might just want them to stop using it. So you can get a court to make a judgment to say, hey, you you have to stop doing what you're doing with this work. So you can seek an injunction. Registration is, we were yeah, like, in we this case, that, yeah. like, <laughs> ask registration. Yeah. And in some very rare cases, you can end up reporting the infringement to the law. So like the FBI or U.S. Department of Justice or Treasury or something like that. If the infringement gets to a point that is like large scale and it involves like criminal activity, then you get like law enforcement. Involved. Yeah. But that is extremely rare. Yeah, probably um, not common. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's extremely rare. So like cease and desist, file a lawsuit. You're going to seek damages, which are 
I, we can talk about those if you want injunction to get them to just stop. And then after that, like if it's criminal, then you go down that route. So there's tons and tons of options. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's helpful. And one thing I think a lot about with like the financial side of things is, you know, people are obviously curious of how much it'll cost and, and things like that. But I also think an interesting dynamic that sort of happens in this like financial space is the power and money behind who's copying your work versus who's being copied. So like when I talk about this in my audience, I talk about like power dynamics. So an example of that is, you know, if you made something and then you you have proof that like Disney or Pixar, you know, it's probably unlikely, but copied it in some capacity. Is that something that people should take more seriously than, for example, your neighbor down the road copied and is selling copies of your work? How would you advise that? And is that different in law? Everybody is protected the same way, right? Whether you're small, or large. If you're just starting out, your protection is the same. Your, I'll, I'll say it this way. Your protection is the same as my daughter who draws something. <laughs> Beautiful artist. As, yes. <laughs> as Disney, right? Your protections are the same. They are not different just because of this scale at which you are working. Right. So I would say if you are an artist and you see somebody infringing on your rights, enforce it. I don't, if it's the big D enforce mm -hmm. it. If it is your neighbor down the street, enforce it that enforcement may look different, right? So your neighbor down the street, it may just be a cease and desist letter that usually works with an individual or a smaller entity. Cease and desist letters can be scary. Like if you get one in the mail, you're like, oh, holy shit. What, uh, like, yeah, yeah. What is going on? <laughs> right. That could shut it, that could shut it down. If it is, you know, a larger entity, it may be a, still be a cease and desist letter but it may be a much stronger we're involved in like case law and number we're we're gonna it's gonna be thick and it's gonna have exhibits and it's gonna have all kinds of stuff in there to say you are infringing on the, our client's right this is what that infringement looks like this is what that compensation needs to look like it's gonna be a very different looking uh cease and desist letter gotcha litigation is like a whole nother conversation because litigation can get litigation is daunting on all parties involved but it is necessary in some cases right it, it's unavoidable it's necessary but yeah that i mean i filing a lawsuit against your neighbor probably not a necessary unless your neighbor is just a huge jackass um <laughs> right <laughs> go for it. it but then like the flip side of that is a larger entity like a disney and mm -hmm. i'll use so like for disney i'll use like cosplayers or people who do fan art that kind of stuff of like star wars and marvel and all that that jazz right rarely do you see disney hammering down on fan artists not saying that they won't I'm not encouraging anybody to go out there and like sell yeah, fan start a business. You, that is copyright infringement. It is copyright infringement. Rarely do you see Disney hammering down on them because it would be a terrible business move for them to hammer down on their fans who are just ex in some way expressing their fandom. And in a lot of ways, it is free promotion for Disney. Rarely you're going to see them hammering down unless you're just making like huge, you're making, you know, big money. Six figure, like yeah. you're making big money, you're going to get a letter from Disney. Rarely are you going to see them come down on their fans. So like that power dynamic kind of shifts just case by case, depending on who's on what end of 
the yeah the, so the PR may not be worth the the litigation and going after your you know mom and pop selling Disney scrunchies out the back of her car kind of thing they pay those they, I mean they're their attorneys are getting paid so much money. Like I would not want to pay them hourly to go after your neighbor down the street. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's really not worth it for them to do that. Again, not saying that they won't. Don't yeah. Go, nobody yeah. Well, I actually heard recently that it was kind of a, an anomaly that they did go after someone in Orlando, I think selling Mickey ears, but the, the, the subtext was that it was rare that they were going after them. So Barely. I guess if I have another question, most of my you know people who follow me and listen to this are people who generally make original work. But if somebody is making like fan art or you know derivative, do you have any advice for them to be careful? Or you know you're you, I, you mentioned earlier, just make sure it's not like the most lucrative thing in the world. But would you discourage that, or what what are your thoughts on that? As a IP professional, I would discourage it because it is yeah. copyright infringement. <laughs> if you are doing it. Lay, lay low to stay under the radar do not make yourself visible to the higher ups in those because yeah. they will that if you make yourself known they'll they'll come after you so like i'll use who does it a lot ferrari is they do it constantly mm-hmm. so if you buy a ferrari and you modify a ferrari they will slap you with a cease and desist in a heartbeat in a heartbeat you change the fenders you do you change the color if you like if it is not ferrari red it is not yellow it is not the paint that they put on it if you paint it purple they will send you a cease and desist gotcha so they're following that up to the extent of that you know the law you know making oh they're hard they're hardcore not only will they send you a cease and desist but they'll blacklist you and never let you buy ferrari again like they're hardcore yeah yeah so do your research is the the short answer if you're gonna correct (laughs) that's awesome Hey all, I just wanted to let you know that I'm hosting a painting retreat March 22nd through 27th in the beautiful Texas hill country of Wimberley, Texas. I'll be teaching my still life and landscape techniques as we relax on a 100 acre property situated 45 minutes away from downtown Austin. There are five unique lodging accommodations to choose from plus a drive-in option for local guests. We'll be enjoying chef prepared meals so every single meal of the day is already provided for you and soak in all the inspiration that the beautiful property has to offer. And y'all, if you haven't been down to the Texas Hill Country, it is so stunning. All the locals vacation out there. It's a lot of beauty and nature, and hopefully we're going to be super inspired by that as we learn plein air painting and lots of other great technique. So sign up today by heading over to my website, sari.studio, and clicking the Texas Painting Retreat tab. I hope to see you there. It's going to be a blast. Okay, so if we could shift a little bit over to AI art, I know it's a changing landscape and, you know, I'm going to post this in a week and I'm sure things will change in in a week's time, but I'm curious what your thoughts on it are. I've heard a lot of people I've talked to in my audience really express a lot of concern around it, about having their work sourced, and then also concern about how it's going to affect, you know, illustrators who sort of make this work for a living. What are your thoughts on that? Lots of thoughts, lots of thoughts. Um... AI right now at in its current state, the copyright office has already ruled that any art creative work generated by artificial intelligence is ineligible for copyright protection. It cannot be protected by current US copyright IP laws, right? Okay. Why? Because there are tons and tons of complex legal issues that need to be worked out before that is even a conversation of allowing it to be 
copyright protected, right? The first being the most important aspect of IP is ownership. Who owns it? So when you create your disco balls, the creator of the work is the owner of the copyright. Mm -hmm. That is the general copyright law, right? right? You created the disco ball. You are the owner in that copyright. Hard period. There's nothing else that goes there. Right. Unless it's a joint work or it's a work for hire, then those are different conversations. Right. But when we're just talking about purely an original work that is fixed in a tangible medium of expression, it is the author of that creative work that owns the copyright, the IP in that work. Hard stop, right? Cool. So when we're talking about AI generated work, AI is built on algorithms that are pulling from everywhere existing works. Who owns, it was actually a TikTok I, I plan on posting, but who owns the work that is generated by AI? Is it the person that developed the algorithm to generate that work with the AI? Is it the person that's plugging in the keywords to generate that AI? Mm -hmm. Is it the people whose work it was pulled from? Because that could be hundreds of different artists that it's being pulled from. Right. Who actually owns this work? If you cannot establish ownership then it can't be protected because the whole basis of ip is ownership right we can't uh, we can't say who actually owns that work and a really important ruling from the copyright office says that ai generated works lack human expression they lack mm -hmm. the human touch which is a, an an important element to establishing ownership who is the author of the work who so that's the that's the one that's the first big issue is ownership who owns mm -hmm. it and then after that copyright infringement it's pulling from existing works so if your work is online somewhere and it is in the ai is pulling from somewhere that your work exists it could be pulling from your work so we're talking about copyright infringement in that in that case then it leans over into trademark infringement because you know people have logos that are posted for their brands so these algorithms are pulling from those images as well so they could be generating images that include trademarked logos trademarked marks right. yeah so that is another issue the copyright office and the trademark office are looking at saying, hey, we can't allow this to be protected because we don't know what we're protecting, right? We don't know. We're opening the door to who knows what by just saying, yeah, 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 it can be protected, whatever. Right. Who are we protecting it for? Who owns it? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Then there's the um, there's this whole trend of people who are taking their images, plugging them into the AI, and then the AI generates all of these images of you based on your name image and likeness those images aren't protected by copyright which is another issue because you are taking your name image and likeness which you have ultimate authority of on how it is used commercially so i can't take your name image and likeness and use it in a in a commercial for my firm unless i get your permission to do so Right. Yeah. Well, it's like Fine. whenever I have a, a model, I'll have to have them sign a release so that I can paint them and then post it. And there's all that red tape and stuff. Bingo. But if that model has put their image through this AI, that AI has generated a work based on their image, 
that work is ineligible for copyright protection. Things that are ineligible for copyright protection generally fall into the public domain. When something's in the public domain, you do not need permission to use it. Anybody, any business, any individual, anybody can go in, grab that image, use it commercially, non-commercially, for whatever reason they want, without your permission and without compensating you. So people are willingly dumping their images into the public domain. And now it's hundreds of thousands of people's images are now available for free use. Is there any way to backtrack if somebody participated in that thinking it was just a trend or it's, it's gone forever? Litigation. Litigation is the only thing. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm hoping to be one of the first to file litigation against these, one of these AI companies, because right now people, it's a, it's a fun trend. You know, Mm -hmm. it's fun. People are like, oh, whatever. As soon as somebody's image gets used in a way Mm -hmm. they don't like, it's going to be an issue. And somebody's going to be like, hey, I don't like that. Wait, wait, wait. You're using my, you're using my photo for, for what? And this goes both ways. This is for somebody's image could get used and a real, a real, you know, somebody who's non-religious could get mm-hmm. used in a campaign for some kind of religious whatever and right. be really offended by that. Somebody who is very religiously devout could get their image used in a way that goes against their beliefs, right? right? So I have a lot of friends who are Muslim. Their image could get used for a company that produces pork oh, products, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. That goes directly against their beliefs. So I, I, people are, it's a fun trend, but people, A, don't really know the full scope, the full legal scope of what's happening, and B, the full legal scope of the ramifications of how those images could be used. And those are like very surface level, surface level uses. Like yeah. I, I can only imagine the other ways that people's images could be used. Yeah, it can get really, I think, complicated. And kind of on that note, if somebody shares their art to like Instagram or something, is that art eligible to get sourced by AI? Like how do you, is there any way to protect yourself from that going in? Because like, for example, I've seen people type in a prompt and they'll say it in the style of specific artist, and it'll do a really sophisticated job coming up with an image in that artist's style. So I'm assuming they're sourcing from that artist. Is there, do they give consent or did you sign that away whenever you signed up for Instagram or how does that work? Register your copyright. Yeah. yeah. Register your copyright. <laughs> Register your copyright because when, not if, when litigation starts to happen, those are elements of discovery, right? So once you get into litigation, one of the aspects of litigation is discovery, where I, as an attorney, go to the other party and say, This is a list of the things I want you to hand over. Um, so litigation is not like what you see on TV where you have like surprise evidence or like <laughs> surprise witnesses. Like, no, we hand all that stuff over to the opposing side early in the process so that everybody knows what's going on. The playing field is, is level. Everybody knows what's going on. That's why 99% of things get settled out, out of court before they even go to trial. They may be in litigation, but they never see the light of trial because in discovery, that's the hope of discovery is that you're handing over that evidence early to show in the other, the opposing side says, you know what, this is not a good look. Let's go ahead and let's, let's figure out how to resolve this. Right. Right. If you're talking about like posting your stuff on like an Instagram or discord or, or, or any of these other platforms, please read the terms of service. It tells you everything you need to know. It tells you everything you need to know in the terms of service, what you're doing when you post your stuff. 
just go read the terms of service, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, wherever you're posting your work, read the terms of service. By posting something, no, you're not automatically transferring ownership. That has to be done in a very specific way to transfer ownership of, of copyright. Now, what you might be doing in some cases is giving that platform a perpetual license to use your work in some way. Yeah, so to they promote their app or something. Right, exactly that. So they may be able to, you know, have a perpetual license to use that work for marketing and all kinds of stuff, but the transfer of actual ownership of it, that would be a hard argument on a platform side to say they own all of the, I know people used to say that a lot about Facebook. It's like, when you put it on there, Facebook <laughs> owns it. No, they don't. Gotcha. But this is probably the most important thing artists need to pay attention to right now, moving yeah. forward. AI's evolving use, in my opinion, is the equivalent to the moon landing, right? Wow. It is It is not going anywhere. So like, don't bury your head in the sand and think like, oh, this is just a trade and it's gonna, no. The use of AI in these industries is, is not going anywhere. So you need to learn what's going on. You need to learn how to protect yourself. Copyright, I'm giving you the keys. Copyright, trademark, patent. Mm -hmm. Those are the keys. Yeah. So if you're not convinced by now to do those things, I hope you are. <laughs> yeah. So I'll give you, I'll give you a, a hardcore example. Midjourney, um, mm -hmm. the the founder of Midjourney, the AI platform, recently came out right before Christmas and admitted that his algorithm, his AI platform, was is using hundreds of millions of images without consent. He mm -hmm. is admitting to copyright infringement. That is coming from the, the horse's mouth. That's coming from the founder of this AI platform saying, yeah, it's it, yeah, we're pulling from existing images. He's saying, yes, we are committing copyright infringement. So yeah. that doesn't convince you. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how is it how is it legal? Because I've learned a lot from you in just, you know, this past interview. And at this point now, I'm like, OK, so if he's sourcing these, my, you know, my wheels are starting to click. How is that legal? But yeah, to, I mean, it's not legal, right? My answer to that is no, it's not legal. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying like litigation is coming. It is coming. It has to, it mm -hmm. has to, it has to happen. I know a lot of people will, a lot of people who are outside of the arts and entertainment world, I get the, I get people who give me comments of like, oh, the artists are just greedy and why can't they be happy? And oh my more. gosh. <laughs> And it's like, no, they're protecting that. What do you mean? They, this, this is necessary. This yeah. is, and I always get like, well, you're an attorney and you just want to make money and mm -mm. I'm going to make money regardless. I don't, that doesn't bother me. I want to protect artists and this right here, AI could be, dev I don't want to sound op uh, apocalyptic, but could be devastating to the mm -hmm. arts world because it is doing exact, it goes against what we talked about with the forefathers, not wanting arts, scientists, sci the sciences and innovation to be stifled. This right here is doing exactly that. When you see artists, I see it every day on my platform, artists getting on my TikToks and commenting, I do not want to post my stuff because I don't want to see it get stolen. I'm not yeah. doing art because I don't want it to get stolen. Yeah. That's stifling arts, if I've ever heard it, from yeah. artists themselves saying, I'm not doing art because I'm afraid of this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then there's a, the other aspect of I 
have seen people on, on TikTok who basically are either losing their job or like good contract work that they used to get because whether it's like illustrating for a newspaper or something, they're now choosing to, to maybe go with AIR, you know, cut your department costs in half. So there's, I mean, there's even that end of it being pretty devastating to the arts. So it's, but yeah, that's, that to me is, is not a good move for these companies either, because you're yeah. producing unprotected work. Mm-hmm. where you where you could go to an like I could come to you I could commission a piece mm-hmm. of work from you as a work for hire so if your audience doesn't know about work for hire work for mm-hmm. hire is if you somebody comes in commissions a piece of work from you you explicitly say hey this is I say hey I want you to do this this is work for hire meaning you as the artist do not retain any ownership over that work I as the person who commissioned the work own the piece and the IP the copyright in that work right these newspapers, these other entities that mm-hmm. do a lot of that commission of work can do those on work for higher basis, retain the ownership of those pieces, move it around, use it how they want to. But if you start using AI, you now have no control over the work that's being produced because it's ineligible for protection. Yeah. And it's pretty short-sighted if nothing else. If you hire someone and you know have them sign the rights away, you know, it's nice and protected and you don't have to worry about litigation and how all this will unfold and having to keep your eye on that mess. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I'm curious then, how do you think, I know we're assuming and it's it's all still so early to roll out, but I, I'm I'm curious how you think the AI thing will roll out. Will they just be allowed to do this? Or do you think it'll be litigated to a point where it's not really profitable or doesn't make sense? Or do you think it'll be like a cultural thing where because people are aware of how devastating it is to the arts, that it becomes kind of untouchable for the most part? Or what do you think? Unfortunately, with the way our society works at the moment, like empathy is in short supply. So yes. for people to count on people to have empathy for creatives and like protecting creatives. I mean, we don't see art in school like yeah. we used to, right? Yeah. Like it's one of the first things that's been cut from schools, art departments, drama, all that kind of stuff, right? So having empathy for the arts is in short supply. But I think litigation is inevitable. The result of that litigation, I don't know. If I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that litigation results in, again, the ethical, responsible use of AI to push our society forward, make things better for people as a whole without stepping on creatives in the process so like i'm hoping that we come to a place where ai continues to be innovated and evolve and use because yes it is important like i believe there is a place for ai across the board we need it i mean it can be used to help so many people in so many industries and make things accessible to a lot of people who need access to stuff right mm-hmm. ai is very important in the evolution of human society mm-hmm. we also have to make sure that evolution is not destroying the 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 uniqueness of art within the the human spirit art yeah. is something that only humans can do that is something very specific to human beings we're the only thing on this planet that consciously can produce art i know we've seen like videos of like elephants and monkeys with 
like it's usually a human putting stuff. it in their hand and making them do yeah, yeah right totally uh but like even the copyright office has ruled that like animals cannot retain copyright ownership there was a uh macaque there's a famous lawsuit of uh that was filed by PETA on behalf of a um of a cat who I think it was um uh I forgot the uh the magazine. It's it's I can't remember the magazine, but this uh, nature photographer went out, handed basically handed the camera to the monkey. The monkey took some selfies, they're really cool pictures, and then was using them in a book, and then PETA filed a lawsuit saying that he was violating the monkey's copyright ownership over those images and the courts came in and basically said no 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 no, no. this lacks human involvement the monkey cannot own animals cannot own copyright mm -hmm. which is the same vein as i ai right yeah it's, it's the it's the same vein yeah it ended up being I'm a really crucial that. piece of of law because you know i feel like the you keep bringing up the it, the human quality of it i think i would i assumed it was written in the founding fathers but you said that it was added later that it's the copyright really belongs to human entities i mean that human that human interaction has always been a part of has always been a part of copyright it wasn't until later that it was litigated mm, okay. so it was never it was not that it was never a question but it wasn't a legal question per se until somebody filed a lawsuit and basically forced a court to make jurisprudence, make yeah. precedent to say in a case, make case law and say animals cannot hold copyright. Yeah. That yeah. is, that is Spelled the it rule. Out. <laughs> right. That is the rule. It was, I, I think we all kind of knew that. And then mm -hmm. somebody tried to like, PETA tried to push the yeah. boundaries. Right, right. And the court was like, no, that's not going to work. So I think that's what's happening with AI right now. But so I'm hoping litigation just yields results that allow innovation to continue to move forward without stifling. Yeah. Yeah. Creatives. Yeah. I appreciate that. I think it's really good insight. And the one takeaway is, you know, make sure that you, you register things and are proactive on your behalf just in case. And then obviously all of us will have our eyes glued to this. All the creatives I know have been very yeah. concerned about it. So, and then I want to pivot a little bit to TikTok. You know, I think TikTok's really interesting because the nature of the app is sort of all about trends and copying, but like not in a legal sense, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll ask you that part, but you can stitch and duet and there's dances that are sort of copied. And I think sometimes what ends up happening is creators don't get due credit, but because copying is sort of built into the app, people don't maybe take it seriously. If somebody comes up with something and now we're going to move past painting a little bit, but like if somebody comes up with a dance and they record it or a really cool saying, there's been examples where people have come up with a saying and then like a large car company will use it in a commercial. Does that creator of that slogan or that dance, do they have rights to that? And then how, what does that look like for them? That's actually a great question because it's actually two separate questions. Slogan would fall under trademark. And the only way you could actually protect that is if you are using it in commerce. Trademark is kind of like copyright in the sense that like, if you're using something in commerce, you have common law trademark, even if you don't register it, but it's again, loose until you actually register for a federal trademark or state trademark. I always tell people just do the federal trademark. Mm -hmm. State trademark only covers you in the state. Okay. Federal trademark, it's expensive, but it's worth it. So for something like that, like your brand, again, like a, a slogan or a saying or your brand name or whatever, trademark, but you have to be using it 
in commerce to be able to trademark it, or you have to file what is called a an intent to use application. So you are alerting the trademark office that you intend to use this in commerce relatively soon. Like you can't file that and then just like sit on it for years. You got to be actively like getting ready to use it in commerce. So like if you come up with a slogan or a saying or something like that, if you're not using it in commerce, it's going to be a hard, that's going to be a hard road to to fight because so you're not actively using it in commerce. In commerce, does that mean like if they wanted to, maybe they're an artist or, you know, they have a website or something, if they wanted to sell even just stickers of it, would that kind of cinch that for them and then they could kind of move forward? Mm-hmm. You okay. got to be using it in, in commerce. There's got to be some. So when you uh, register an application for a, a federal trademark, part of it is you have to submit what are called samples. So you basically have to like show them where it is in commerce. So it is like a web page with your trademark on it with a button that says buy here. So they, they can plainly see you are using it in commerce. Okay. Um, so you have to basically make it very obvious you're using it in commerce. Um, on the other side, if we're talking about a dance, mm-hmm. dance has notoriously, choreography has notoriously uh, been left behind in the world of copyright. Hmm. So until recently, there is one and his name is, I, I, I know his name, it, I'm drawing a blank on it. He is a choreographer for Beyonce. Mm-hmm. is really at the forefront of copywriting choreography because in the past the only choreography that was even slightly eligible for copyright protection was if it was narrative so like done nutcracker something that is like telling a story right so like just a regular hip-hop dance you couldn't register for copyright until recently So Beyonce's uh, choreographer was able to successfully register some copyright. Then there was a dancer. There was a a young woman on TikTok that was able to successfully register a copyright for a dance. Yes. Right. So the wheels, that world of dance is changing. It's changing slowly, but it is changing. It's starting to catch Um, up a little bit. Is is his name Jaquel Knight? Is that the choreographer? Yeah, yeah, Jaquel Knight. Yes, yes. And he, yes, he, him and his attorney, his journey is an awesome guy that I, I've met with a few times. Awesome guy who is really at the forefront when it comes to copyright and choreography. But again, the only way that it's it's similar to AI and that the only way that we're seeing change in that space is litigation. You, The only way that these things change is, is litigation. And that answer is kind of a, a twofold answer. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And kind of going off that, um, the fact that dance was sort of categorized into narrative and then sort of wouldn't make an exception for arguably just like a different culture dance. You know, my next question was to ask you that the legal system has historically been unfair to marginalized groups. And I think that was kind of a good example of it because whenever all this, the laws were written, it obviously reflected a certain, the dominant white culture. And it feel like, I feel like it hasn't caught up. And I'm curious if, if there's other ways that this has played out in copyright law. Oh yeah, for sure. Dance being one of the the prime examples street art so graffiti that mm-hmm. kind of thing street art is is protected by copyright law the tattoo industry is protected by 
copyright in the same way that traditional visual artists are protected. Uh, we actually just saw in, uh, a young woman tattoo artist that was able to successfully sue uh, the WWE and Take-Two Interactive and a few other companies that are involved in a video game for the WWE where she tattooed Randy Orton, big time WWE superstar. She tat she did all his tattoos, right? If you apply what you 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 and your audience now know about copyright is mm -hmm. the author of the work is the owner of the copyright. If you mm -hmm. if you apply that same thought to a tattoo, your skin is a tangible medium of expression. The artist that is that designed that tattoo and put it on your skin, you own the piece, they own the the copyright unless there was a discussion of transfer of ownership right they still own every tattoo on my body the tattoo artist that did it owns the copyright yeah yeah kind of like a traditional painting you know if i paint something for someone it's a commission they own the painting but i still own the rights unless i sign it over so it's just an extension of that exactly so when wwe and the video game companies went in put randy orton in the video game they put him in the video game with his tattoos. If we go back to our exclusive rights, they reproduced her work in that video game gotcha. for commercial use. When you do that in any capacity, when you hear a song used in a movie or a TV commercial or something like that, if you see a movie and you see a painting hanging on the wall, if you any any of those examples, those companies paid a licensing fee to use that work. That company, WWE Take-Two Interactive, should have paid the artist a licensing fee to use her work in the video game. They didn't. They just put mm -hmm. it in the video game. She filed suit and she won because the court recognized that tattoos are covered just like any other art, creative mm -hmm. work. The same rules apply. And she was awarded, she didn't win an absorbed amount. She won the amount that she would have been paid as a licensing fee, which is beautiful. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of, not only culturally have different communities been left behind by, uh, by copyright law, but certain areas of arts and entertainment have been left behind because they weren't seen as art in the same way that traditional visual art is seen as 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 art you know sold right. in auction houses and traditional galleries yeah right? yeah so there's like, definitely a hierarchy to, to art and i think it's unfortunate and i think it's really very arbitrary but I, I like what you said about like it's as simple as if you're making something and there's a tangible you know expression of it that it, then it has copyright and so i guess it's important to talk to anyone who feels like their medium is really innovative or that the law hasn't caught up to your culture that you still have a case for copyright if somebody was really curious if something they were doing is covered if like there's not to think of something innovative as an example is really hard, but you know, if they're doing something innovative and they, they maybe don't feel like the law is working for them or they feel anxious around the law or they feel like maybe it's not going to be reflected in copyright law, what, what would you suggest for someone to look into if they were curious about that? Reach out to a legal professional. A lot of people will sit and talk to you. Like, I don't mind talking to people about it. Should not cost you a ton of money. I mean, it shouldn't cost you a ton of money. I do charge for consultation for consultations. I charge and I didn't used to charge. There's a, there's a method to the madness. I didn't used to charge, but I also used to spend an entire week yeah. in consultations and like never was able to actually like 
do legal work for anybody. Yeah. It causes people to take a step back and think critically about the time they're using and like what they're coming to the table with. Cause I would get people that would just like talk to me for hours and hours and hours and hours <laughs> about just madness. And it had mm-hmm. nothing to do with IP. It had nothing to do with art. It was just like, Oh, I have this idea for this movie. And, and it's like, dude, I did that's no. I think it's because um, lawyers put a price tag on their hours. And so everyone's like, I just got to talk to you. And, you know, it's it makes your time more valuable, right? Because you've, you've set a price point at it. So yeah, just, everyone yeah, wants yeah, to talk yeah. to a lawyer. <laughs> no, but it seems like the only reason I try is it like the way people come to consultations has changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. They come and they have like, they have everything in a row and they don't talk like about yep. just yeah. anything and everything. But if somebody is unsure about where their work and IP and copyright intersects, just mm-hmm. reach out to a legal professional in the space. I'm sure they would not mind. I don't mind talking to people about it. Yeah. And it's, and I'm learning from you that it's a lot more straightforward than it seems. Cause I know, you know, I grew up low income. So I always had this misconception around lawyers and legal stuff that it was big and scary and just something that was so out of reach. But even just hearing you talk about it now, it's the things that I can really take away are that it works for artists. And that once you can navigate sort of that copyright process and sort of understand just like basically what you just said, it's like your property tangible, you know, everything, everything that you've said, don't quote me, but that it really can work for you. And it can work for everybody in society, not just people who typically have access to like legal privileges for the most part. Yeah. And the good thing about copyright is everybody is a copyright owner. Mm -hmm. Hard stop. You, you, if you've created something in your life at any point, if you were sitting in your desk in elementary school and drew a little picture on your desk. You are a copyright owner. I mean, if that picture still exists, yeah. but you're a copyright <laughs> owner over that little doodle that you did on the desk, right? Everybody is a, is, is a copyright owner. I try to stress that to people, everybody, except for the newborn baby that was just born two minutes ago. Everybody is a copyright owner. My three-year-old son is a copyright owner. It may not be registered, but everything that he paints, colors, draws, whatever, he owns the copyright in those things, right? I love it. Yeah. Um. So it's it's like you said, it's it's really straightforward if you detach additional meaning to it and just look at it from, look at it for what the page says. If you want to go read the Copyright Act, I encourage people to go do it. It's wordy. Yeah. But read it. It will it will enlighten you on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I'll include it in the show notes too. So people can just go hop over and look at it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Is there any final parting thoughts, any other little piece of advice that you'd like to share? Again, my audience is all, you know, varying levels, but there's a lot of people who are really new to it. So if you can just give any advice at all to any of those people, just here's your opportunity. (laughs) If you want to be taken serious as a professional artist, a professional creator, a professional entertainer, these are the things that you have to think about. I totally understand. You just want to create cool shit. I get it. I'm the same way. But if you want to be taken serious as a professional, this is part of your profession, understanding the protection of your work. You have to understand that. Because it could it, it could change your life, it could change your career, it could change the trajectory of who you are as a creator, paying attention to what's happening to and with your work. 
I love that. Thank you. I'm going to make sure and tag all of your socials. It's Lawyer Winton, W-Y-N-T-O-N. And I'm going to attach your law firm and anywhere else people can get a hold of you, wherever you want people to get a hold of you on here. And then also personally, I recommend your TikTok. It's been so entertaining. It's really fun to watch. And um, I've learned a ton from you. So I just want to say I appreciate you. I appreciate your presence online, making copyright law for artists a lot more accessible. And I think what you do is really valuable. I also wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who left reviews. Um, today we have five-star reviews from at Danabe, that's D-A-N-A-B-E-E -E underscore art. We also have Andy Sandy Ego and at Ashley Quam Art, that's Ashley spelled A-S-H-L-E-Y-Q-U-A-M Art. I also want to say thank you to Gina Ariko, that's A-R-I-K-O. And I want to say thank you to Prairie Horizon Handmade. Those are all spelled in the traditional way, but I just wanted to say thank you to everyone. I really appreciate it. It helps a small emerging podcast like Not Sorry Art Podcast grow. If you would like to hear your handle read off, please leave a review and tell me how you think the podcast is going. Again, it's so helpful and thank you so much. <laughs>